what period of time were you a member of the uh, Simon City Royals? From 1991 till I got out of prison. Till 2009. 2009. The first time I met TJ, I believe, was at his deposition. This video deposition of Thaddeus Jimenez being taken on behalf of the defense. Soon after TJ was exonerated from murder and released from prison, he sued the police in the city of Chicago. This case is captioned, Thaddeus Jimenez versus the city of Chicago at all. This tape is the only lengthy interview with TJ that I could get access to. Andrew Hale for the individual defendants. He's being questioned by Andy Hale, the attorney who was hired to take the lead in defending the city. I thought TJ was remarkably charming, you know, polite, didn't ever appear angry at me or, you know, just, just very smart, too. For a kid who grew up, you know, in the setting he did, I was, you know, I was like, wow, you know, not what I was expecting. At the time of this deposition with Andy Hale, Thaddeus Jimenez was a 31-year-old adult. Um, how would you describe the way you were prior to being arrested in February 93? I was, I was troubled. No, I didn't have a, a good life. That's the TJ we're going to look at, the kid before he was put through the system. Before TJ spent millions of dollars to start a gang war, before he sued the city, before he spent 16 years in prison, he was a 13-year-old kid accused of a murder that he always said he didn't do. It was easy for the police to believe that TJ could kill someone. He liked carrying a gun, flashing gang signs, and acting like a tough guy. But he was also just a kid. He liked bikes. He played basketball. He liked doing art in school. He even wrote poems. TJ had a big family that cared about him, and they tried to stop him from joining a gang. But TJ did it anyway, and that put him in the crosshairs of tough-on-crime policies in the 1990s. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Frank Main, and this is Motive. Violated into the Peewees. Even among former gang members, there's a code of silence. They don't like talking to cops or newspaper reporters, for that matter. Snitches get stitches. When did you first meet Larry Tuffle? I can't remember the exact date. Did I pronounce that right, Tuffle? The Tuffle. Tuffle. Larry was a friend of yours, correct? Yeah. According to TJ at his deposition, Larry was a friend of his, but he wasn't anymore. As kids, Larry and TJ both joined the same street gang. TJ was 11 years old. Larry was 12. I couldn't find a phone number for TJ's old friend, but I did find an address. <clears throat> it was to an apartment building on the north side. I started flipping through names on the directory. Not in here. Then a man who I guessed was the superintendent popped his head through a window above me. Can I help you guys? Yeah. Where? I'm right here. How are you? Looking for Larry? Larry Tufel? Is Lawrence Tufel? Lawrence? The super buzzed us in and told us he would go get him. Lawrence? Yeah. Wait, Lawrence or Larry? Uh, it doesn't matter, Lawrence, Larry. Uh, have a seat. Uh, I explained that we were doing a project about TJ. Yeah, I wanted to see what Larry the adult could tell me about TJ the boy. Uh, 
I thought this was over with, or I really don't like to dig through the past and talk about it again, you know what I mean? Larry Tufel had a lot to do with TJ's murder case. The guy who was killed was a good friend of his, and Larry pretty much wanted to be left alone. You know, I, have, I still feel like I'm in danger, because if I ever ran into any of those gangs in the past, is there any way that I could think about this? You guys could come back or something before I say anything anymore? Okay. Just, just to be on the safe side. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A couple days later, Larry had a change of heart, and he agreed to sit down and talk. I figured, what can it hurt? I'll just tell my story. I got nothing to hide. I was wrong. You know, I wasn't the perfect kid. I was an evil, rotten little bastard, too. You know, I'm not good. I never said I was a good person, you know. I learned from a lot of my mistakes, you know. Okay, where do you want me to start from the very beginning, how I got into the neighborhood, or do you want to just... I want to go back there. I want to start... You want me to explain to you everything, how the neighborhood was in the beginning and everything? I do. The neighborhood that Larry and TJ ran around in during the early 1990s is called Avondale. After school, they hung out around the intersection of Belmont and Sacramento Avenues. It was just really gang-infested back then. The neighborhood was really bad at the time. A lot of stuff happened, a lot of bad stuff. In the 90s, gang violence in Chicago was exploding. News reports were warning about kids carrying guns and shooting other kids. And a lot of those stories focused on the South and West Sides and African-American and Latino neighborhoods. But the mostly white neighborhoods on the North Side had their own gangs that stood on corners, fired guns, and fought over territory. People were always talking, oh, it's crazy on the South Side. No, the North Side was just as crazy as the South Side, man. Same thing. This was the tough-on-crime era. Soaring murder rates became a talking point for politicians. Gang kids were described as, quote, super predators, and the police felt a lot of pressure to take back the streets. To reach out to the youth, three Chicago police officers created this anti-gang rap video. It wasn't the most successful police outreach initiative. I was just stupid, you know, following people, man, trying to be cool. For Larry, there were lots of reasons to join a gang. I just joined so I could have girlfriends, you know. Back then, being a gangbanger, you know, they thought it was cool, you know, to be like that. Caught up in the gang gang. They'd have parties, they'd steal stuff, they'd break stuff. It was fun to brick people's cars with bricks that would go by, beat up people, you know, get into all kinds of trouble. We got, we got a rush off it, you know. And if that rush wasn't enough, there were plenty of drugs. Powder, cocaine, blotted acid. There was just drugs everywhere. You know, everybody was doing it. It was the thing to do at the time. There was also some stuff going around the neighborhood called wiki sticks. It was embalming fluid and PCP dip joints. I even smoked some of that shit, man. I'm telling you, you don't want to do that shit, man. That was some strong shit. In those days, there was gang graffiti all over the neighborhood. At the top of one building on West Belmont, there was a big mural that said SCR. That stands for Simon City Royals. That's the gang that TG and Larry joined as kids. And to join, they had to go through an initiation. Here's TG again in his deposition. How was it that you became a member of the Royals gang in 1991? Oh, we, uh, I took a beating in. A group of gang members would punch and kick you for a certain number of minutes. It's called being violated in, or V'd in for short. Larry Tufel. I got beat in for like two minutes. A bunch of guys jumped on me and beat What's me. What's that up. like? 
Oh, it was terrible. I mean, you know, I was just a skinny bag of bones at the time. They were bigger guys, you know. I was probably the skinniest guy, the youngest guy to join besides TJ. Um, now, were you, I've seen some reference to being a, a member of the Pee Wee Royals. Is that, is that a fair characterization? Correct. What does that mean? The Pee Wee Royals was kind of a junior division of the larger Simon City Royals. Pee Wee would, would um, encompass like what ages? 15, 16 and under. Okay. TJ and Larry had some things in common. They were both mixed race, half white, half Latino. They both didn't really know their fathers. And Larry was just six months older than TJ. We were all basically just kids. You know, we just reached puberty at the time and shit, you know. When did you first meet TJ and what did you think of him? He came to the neighborhood, you know, he was a younger guy. We hung out, you know, we did some bad stuff, drugs, alcohol, that all goes with it. And um, I didn't really like him at first. Larry says TJ was trying to prove himself all the time. TJ was small, only 5'4 and 115 pounds, but he was a fighter. He loved his gang, that he was true to his gang, though. He was down for the Royals, you know. He felt empowered by the Royals, and he'd punish other kids for breaking gang rules. He was the first one that would jump out if anything happened. He was pretty down. Walking around the neighborhood, these peewee members of the Royals, these 12-year-olds, they'd be armed. Prior to the arrest in 93, did you ever possess any type of gun? Yes. He always had a gun on him all the time. I mean, I had a gun on me, too, a good thing that I never shot anybody with any of those guns, man. Because, man, I could have been in prison myself. Where would you get these guns from? Uh, the older members of the Royals. One of the main jobs assigned to the Pee Wee Royals was packing a gun and patrolling the neighborhood for rival gang members to defend their territory. They called it working security. When you work in security, who would be the main opposition gangs that you might encounter? Uh, the Insane Deuces, the Latin Kings... Um, the gay lords. According to Chicago gangs, there's two different types of families. You're either people or folks. People or folks. Those were the two alliances that almost all the gangs in Chicago fell under. It was a system set up by gang leaders years earlier, sort of like the American League and the National League. Simon City Royals were folks, so if you were in another gang under folks, like Maniac Latin Disciples or the Spanish Cobras, then the royals were cool with you. If you're a gang member under people, like the Latin kings or the vice lords, you were definitely not okay with the royals. That's how it went back in the neighborhood. You were either folks or people. So a kid from the Latin kings comes on your block, what happens? Oh, they would immediately either get beat up or killed. That's how it was. Like, if we walked into their neighborhood, we'd get shot and killed, too. Gun violence is still one of the biggest political issues in Chicago. But in the early 90s, there were almost twice as many gun deaths in the city as there are now. In 1991, there were 922 murders. Nearly a third of all victims were under the age of 21, more than ever before. One summer day in Avondale in the early 90s, Larry was in his first gun battle. All the royals were in the park. We were hanging out, and two carloads of these other gang came. They were, I think they were deuces. They came out with a bunch of bats and pipes. They came to attack us, and boy... Did they make a mistake because one of the royals bring out a gun and started shooting at them, and they were running for their life. This would happen in broad daylight. It was crazy. Man. I'd never seen anything like that before. That was too much for Larry. He decided to get out of the royals for a little while. Tiji was down for his gang, and he stayed. 
Um, did you ever, um, did you ever shoot a gun? Yes. Uh, how many occasions? I don't remember. I mean, did you ever shoot at anybody? No. So the times you would shot a gun would just be what fooling around? Yeah, on target practice. But shooting real bullets. Yes. Okay. Where would you do target practice at? Uh, on the on the tra- uh, abandoned railroad tracks. A 13-year-old kid in a violent gang, doing drugs, carrying a gun, a bit angry. Later, at his murder trial, TJ was described as a, quote, one-kid crime wave. The judge called TJ a little punk, too young to shave, but old enough to commit a vicious murder. When TJ was found guilty of murder, his mother broke down. He was originally sentenced to 50 years in prison, but his mom's anguish caught the judge's attention. The judge told TJ... I'm going to take five years off your sentence because of your mother's reaction when the verdict was read. But it makes me wonder where she was when you joined a gang. That comment still stings. I was working keeping our asses off of welfare. That's where I was. You can't, I don't care. You could be the best. There's no book on kids. Nobody tells you how to raise them. And you cannot be with your kid 24-7. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. It sounds like uh, you really didn't have much of a relationship with your father growing up. Is that true? Correct. Okay. Um, your mom, his name is Victoria, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, how often do you talk to your mother? Almost every week. Do you have a, are you on good terms with your mom? Yes. All right. I wanted to interview Victoria Jimenez for some time. So, in a diner on a busy street near O'Hare Airport, I finally got to sit down with her. Uh, you a couple minutes? Uh, yeah. Do you, do you, do you, I'm not hungry. You're not hungry? But okay. you eat. I used to have um, two eggs over medium. Before I started recording, Vicky had asked the server what her name was. Once I finished ordering, Vicky made a point of saying her name. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia. You have a good memory, huh? Remember her name? That's part of, I did this all my life. I was a server. Were you really? Yeah. Vicky drinks a cup of coffee with cream, but she won't eat anything. She's wearing a red, white, and blue cub shirt. She seems tired, but she's really good company. Vicky tells me about her first restaurant job. She was 11. My sister worked in a restaurant. She got me a part-time job on weekends. She put a wig and falsies on me to make me look 16. <laughs> coffee was only 12 cents on <laughs> In all the court documents and articles, Vicky comes across like a lioness. She's a fierce defender of her son. 
I asked her about TJ's father. What was his full name? Ricardo Miguel Jimenez. And uh, you went by Rick? Yeah. I call him Rick Ash. <laughs> Everybody calls him Rick Ash. <laughs> Rick is Mexican. Vicky is Polish. 100% both sides, she tells me. Vicky's dad was a Chicago firefighter. Her mom was a homemaker who had 10 kids. Yeah. I do, thanks. No, thank you, honey. Vicky had two kids with Rick, Angela and Thaddeus. When the kids were really young, the family moved between Chicago and California. Rick was a paramedic, Vicky a bank teller. We left two blocks on Disneyland. Did you really? Yeah, so the kids would go to the pool and we could see the fireworks on Disneyland. <laughs> TJ and Angela only got to watch the fireworks, though. They never went inside Disneyland. They couldn't afford it. You know, I, I wanted the house, the white picket fence, sitting on the porch waiting for the grandkids. That's the what life I wanted. Vicky doesn't have many good memories of her marriage to Rick, or Rick ass as she calls him. He was abusive, and TJ tried to protect his mom. One time, Rick went to hit me, and TJ was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and he threw it at his dad and said, don't touch my mother. And it was funny because the sandwich stuck to his face. <laughs> and then he went to go hit TJ, and I grabbed a knife. And I said, you don't touch my kid. And ain't nobody got the right to touch my kids, only me. And then my mom started recognizing the signs. I'd have a black eye or a busted tooth. She goes, what happened? It's old. Hit the cabinet, you know, ran into the door, hit the dashboard, had a slam on the brakes, you know, always making up stories. And she goes, I raised you for 18 years, and all of a sudden you get married, and now you're the clumsiest person in the world. So then she told me. Yes, thank you. But then she told my dad. I, I never seen my dad so angry. Did he approach uh, Rick about it? Oh, yeah. He grabbed him by his collar, put him against the wall, and said he goes, I'm old school Chicago. They could drain and empty Lake Michigan and still won't find you. <laughs> because you put one more hand on my daughter. Vicky got fed up with it, and one day, just packed up and hitchhiked back to Chicago with her two kids. She became a single mom. Yeah. After we left the diner, I stayed in touch with Vicky. She messaged me on Facebook saying, quote, I'd like to do a story on TJ, our life, our family, the good, and the bad. We started meeting up a lot more. Sometimes she'd be nursing a Miller Lite and getting through a pack of menthol cigarettes. I say, oh, no jumping on the couch. In the early 1990s in Chicago, away from Rick, Vicky struggled to raise two kids. You know what they did? They were dancing to I Can't Help Falling in Love With You by Elvis Presley. And they would fall on the couch and throw the pillows and broke about nine pieces of uh, Norman Rockwell. And then they thought they were slick. They just, like, glued them together. Once there's a crack in a Norman Rockwell, it ain't worth shit. Yeah, smart asses. As much as Vicky tried to keep a nice home, their lives are pretty unstable. Do you remember where you went for fifth grade? What school? Riley. 
Did you attend any other schools in fifth grade other than Riley? I don't, I don't know. During his deposition, TJ struggled to remember all the grade schools he went to. I don't remember. Do you remember what school you went to in third grade? I can't recall. Second grade, do you remember? No. Okay. TJ said he was enrolled in eight different elementary schools during his childhood. Why did he bounce around so much? Either the landlord raised the rent, so we would have to move. I could have stayed with my mom or something, but I wanted it just us. I was raised in the same house from kindergarten to eighth grade, and I wanted my kids to go to the same school, like, you know, too much pride. You want to stop for a second? No, I'm okay. Thank you. I asked Vicki if there was anything she would have done differently if she had to do it all over again. Yeah. I want to drink so much. Had more patience with the kids. But working two and three jobs. And I'm not looking for an excuse. I just wish I had more patience. Vicki didn't have much control in her life. So she focused on the things she could control, like how her house looked. I wanted my house immaculate. I wanted my kids' clothes folded this way. I wanted where you can walk on my floor with white socks. I just like a clean house. It was difficult to keep a clean house with two young kids. If TJ didn't do what Vicky said, he'd feel his mother's wrath. He got his ass kicked. Even Angela said the other day, she says that, I never remember you hitting me when you were sober, only when you were drinking. So, and if there was a spoon or a dish in the sink, I woke their asses up at 3 o'clock in the morning and made them wash them. I said, you think I'm working two jobs for me? You're wearing Nikes, I'm wearing Payless. When he was in the fifth grade, TJ started escaping the house and spending more and more time away from home. Vicky heard a rumor that he was trying to join the Simon City Royals. And I grabbed him. The only gang you got is your family. In big cities like Chicago and L.A., a gang and your family are often intertwined. Gangs have been around for a long time, and they're generational. Did you have any family members that were members of the Royals prior to you being a member of the Royals? Yes. Who's that? My uncle Mark. My uncle uh, Kermit. His uncles were his only father figure. Mark and Kermit were Vicky's brothers. She went to have a little talk with Mark. And I said, look at Mark, your fucking gang is trying to get my son to join. The peewees, whatever the hell you guys call it. I said, if my son joins this gang, it's on you. I will never, ever, ever forgive you for that. And he goes, "Uh uh-uh, he ain't joining. But TJ went behind their backs. TJ was beaten, violated into the Pee Wee Royals. He's got a bunch of new friends. He and Larry are doing drugs, partying. He's carrying a gun around the neighborhood. Vicky claims she didn't see much evidence of all that, but she was working two or three jobs. I know he didn't bring no damn gun in my house. You know, I did his clothes, I did everything. Never found no drugs. Maybe he was different than he was at home because all he cared about was what's for dinner, (laughs) you know.
On February 3, 1993, at 6.25 p.m., Larry Tufel was walking east on Belmont Avenue with his friend Eric Morrow. Larry was 14. Eric was older, 19. I don't know how those miners overpowered him in the first place and how he got shot like that, you know? He was such a strong person, Eric. He was a tough guy, you know? He was never involved in gangs or anything. Two kids approached them from behind. A fight ensues next to a honey-baked ham store. One of the kids pushes Eric up against the wall. He pulls out a gun and shoots Eric once in the chest. The two kids run away. Larry goes to help Eric. He was holding his chest, and then he just collapsed, and I grabbed him, and I was holding him. And that's when everybody came out after that, and people were screaming, call the police. I was screaming, call the police. Minutes later, Eric dies. The day Eric Morrow got shot. Your recollection is that you did go to school that day? Yes. After school, what do you recall happening? I got on the bus, as I usually do, and I got off the bus at the uh, intersection of Belmont and Sacramento. Um, you got, and why did you get off at Belmont and Sacramento? Because uh, I seen uh, Eric and Larry hanging out right there in the corner. Eric was friends with royals like Larry and TJ, but he wasn't in a gang. While they're all standing on the corner, Larry and TJ see a school bus go by. There were some gangbangers inside the school bus, and they were flashing gang signs at us, so we started flashing back. Eric supposedly got mad and yelled at TJ to cut out the stupid gang signs. Prosecutors cited that altercation as TJ's motive for later shooting Eric. TJ admits to throwing gang signs, but says there wasn't a fight. Prosecutors also said TJ had a gun earlier in the day, and they had some evidence for it. That same day, TJ, Larry, and Eric were visiting a friend in the neighborhood. TJ had a gun, and it was in the hallway, and he was bragging about it and flashing it around and waving it around, and Eric seen that and told him to get the fuck out of the hallway and leave. That happened early on before he got shot. TJ says he didn't even have a gun that day. What happens next? We went to uh, the uh, playground and uh, we played basketball for a while there. And why did you leave? I had to go home. Why? Because I was supposed to go straight home that day from school. Vicky had given TJ a curfew because he was failing seventh grade. That day, he was supposed to go straight to his grandmother's house and do his homework. He was a little late. I got mad at him. I told you to come straight home. You know, well, we call Granny's house home. So... I know he was there by 5 o'clock. Vicky was at Granny's that evening before working the graveyard shift at a restaurant. Do you remember actually seeing your mom? Was she present? Yeah, she was there. And you actually talked to her? Yeah. TJ says he didn't start his homework right away. He got distracted. My cousin Chester was there. He, uh, he had brought his uh, video game over. It was a Sega, I believe he got for Christmas or something like that. That's what we did. We play video games he was on the game and i in the head i said get off the goddamn game and get the goddamn homework done now is before he went off to work right according to tj and vicky tj then started his homework and that's what tj was doing at 6 25 p.m while eric morrow was being shot about a mile away around seven o'clock vicky went to work at the restaurant several hours later tj climbed onto a couch in his grandmother's front room and went to sleep. 
around 3.30 in the morning. So uh, let's talk about when the police came to your house. What do you remember happening? I remember them uh, banging on the doors and on the windows, waking everybody up in the apartment that was there. We were all scared. Most of the people that were in the front were kids. Who answered the door? My grandmother. Then what happens? Uh, the police, they come in, they ask for TJ. What did you do, if anything? I, I, I told them I was TJ. Did the police say anything else to you inside the house? They told me to turn around and put my hands behind my back. They told my grandmother they were taking me to, uh, I was being arrested for murder. Vicki left work around 6 in the morning. She then went to her mom's house. And I walked in about, say, 6.30, and everybody jumped up. The police came in took TJ. My mom didn't call me because she said that TJ's last words were, don't worry, Granny, I'll be right back. It's a mistake. So I didn't think I needed to call you. And I says, Mom, that's my son. You call me. She goes, you would have walked off the job. I said, damn right I would have walked off the job. You know, she goes, but he said he'll be right back. TJ wouldn't come home again for 16 years. Next time on Motive. We have a vision of what a kid locked up is like. He's a thief, thug, gangbanger, as they say. And when you meet him, wait a minute. This is my, my grandkid or my nephew, you know. It really seemed to me that a lot of this case was based on a public narrative of fear. I believed in our justice system. Now you can take it and shove it up your ass. Motive is a production of WBEZ Chicago based on original reporting from the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm Frank Main. The producer is Colin McNulty. The executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Our engineer is Shelley Steffens. Special thanks to the listeners whose financial support of WBEZ made this podcast possible. 